Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. I'm joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. And today we're going to do something a little different, a little fun. Uh, so we recently asked patrons to ask us questions. And today we are doing a live Q&A where we are going to go through and answer a bunch of these questions. Uh, so we are live to patrons right now. Um, if you are listening on the podcast, don't worry, we're going to read all of the questions out loud. And if any questions come in through the chat, we'll make sure to say them out loud so you can follow along. Um, yeah. And so we have a bunch of questions to get through. Uh, I'm excited and I'm nervous. Uh, how are you guys feeling? <laughs> Terrified. Excellent. Um, okay. Uh, anything else before we jump in? Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So... Our first question comes from Sarah Beebe. What were your first projects together? How did you become a team? The LFTS origin story, basically. Uh, so, yeah, how did we become a team? So, early on, I started Lessons from the Screenplay. It was just a solo thing. It blew up. It was kind of crazy. And so the first year, two years was me making videos and slowly burning out and getting super exhausted and Vince, our producer, having to uh, take loving care of me and my <laughs> frazzled state. Uh, and so pretty early, uh, we were having conversations about building out a team and uh, yeah, creating a group of people that could collaborate on everything to make uh, the process less stressful and more fun and better. And uh, yeah, so maybe we can switch perspectives. So Brian, what happened next from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I'll, uh, there's a longer version of the story, but the short version, because we have a lot of questions, is I, I did a good deed for a couple once who I were strangers to me at the time, basically. But then um, I gave them a ride across town on a very rainy Halloween night when an Uber would have cost them $100. So we became Facebook friends and that was it. And then... Probably a year and a half later, a friend of mine sends me your Rogue One versus uh, Force Awakens video. And I was like, I was writing very similar movie columns at the time. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I should maybe reach out to this guy and see if he wants to like meet up or figure something out. And then I find you on Facebook and we have exactly two mutual friends and it's that couple. Um, and of course, that helped me kind of get the foot in the door a little and be like, hey, I'm not a total psychopath. I know people you know. Um, and then and then you and I met up and then it kind of went from there. But, you know, I just I like telling that story because it's just like a nice like moral fable, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. like I did something because I was just like, you guys are in a crappy situation. I, I would love to help you out and I can help you out. And then that sort of not not entirely indirectly led to basically the the course of several years of my life changing drastically. So pretty cool that is a nice little yeah moral fable yeah i remember getting drinks with you and like getting beer and i don't drink a lot and i just remember being like oh man i'm really drunk already i hope <laughs> this person doesn't think i'm crazy um but yeah so you came on board and uh collateral was the first video we worked on yeah together. collateral yes yeah. for sure which was cool. mostly me kind of slapping words together and then you taking it turning into a real video and then <laughs> no catch for old men came from there and then i think Shaun of the Dead, I think, was the first one that I felt like, mm -hmm. oh, that's the video that I kind of like originally pitched and like had like some 
agency over. But uh, but yeah, it was a lot of you and me sending long emails back and forth and talking about strategy and drafts and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And so to switch perspectives again, Trisha, what happened next from your perspective? Yeah. So then it would have been in 2017, I think, in October that we went to a wedding of some mutual friends of ours. And like, I already knew you. Um, I don't remember where I met you the first time, um, but I knew you already. Uh, you guys came to my play. Uh, anyway, yeah. there's a lot. That we had mutual friends. Yeah. So right. I'd met him a few times. But anyway, at this wedding, we ended up sitting together um, and like talking movies all evening and just connected. And then I realized that you live really close to me, actually. Um, and so we started hanging out a little bit. And then at some point you were just like, do you want to write a video for me? <laughs> and I was like, sure, let's try. Um, I like didn't even watch video essays at that point. So I was like, what are these even? <laughs> um, but yeah, then I pitched and wrote the Jurassic Park video for the channel, um, which was a hell of a lot of fun. That was a really, really <laughs> good video and also lulled me into a false sense of security because Michael didn't edit it hardly at all. He was like, no, this is great. This is awesome. And like, you know, it wasn't an arduous process <laughs> in the script phase. And then it just became a video and it was great and easy. And that's how they got me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And like behind the scenes with all this, there's always like me talking to Vince being like, I, I met this person. I think they're cool. And like, I know this, this girl Trisha, I think she's really smart. What do I do? And like Vince <laughs> being like, be a person and just be fine. Talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, awesome. Okay. And then Alex, how did you, how did you come on board? <laughs> well, I've known Michael since film school. So we go way back. Uh, but at the time, yeah, during your LTS like origin time, I had taken this detour into politics for a couple years and then um, burned out on that. And then I, <laughs> I was like, I need to get a job. And so I, <laughs> I, uh, I edited a Netflix show called evil genius. It was a limited series. Um, and that was, that was like a very difficult, but rewarding projects. And coming off of that, I was just like, man, I want to get back to, just thinking about, you know, narrative stuff, writing, directing, yada, yada. And Michael at that exact moment was bringing on Brian and then Trisha um, and kind of expanding the LTS team. And so uh, that's when we started talking and I was looking for my next kind of editing gig, whatever, and working with, you know, my best friend <laughs> was sounded like a great thing to do, uh, even if, you know, the money wasn't great compared to Netflix. <laughs> uh, but but I was I was excited yeah. to to have a place on this team and so i think jurassic park was also my first video and that was it that was a great uh entry into the lts world because of course jurassic park is like the origin for so many of us yeah. of loving film so i i you know i already had every frame of the movie memorized in my head so editing that video was so easy i could like literally jump to a frame of the film like by feel <laughs> in the timeline i was like yeah, yeah. that's where the t-rex steps out of the or whatever so so that was a great first experience and and then uh, eventually i kind of got looped into the writing team as well and we were all one big <laughs> sometimes happy sometimes fighting family <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and then we did the podcast and it's been great right yeah and then yeah i forget it was like not that long after we were all working together that the idea for the podcast came it was like i think we, we were all kind of hanging out at my apartment just like 
in person. We're going to talk and be people and ended up talking about movies, obviously, a lot. And then, yeah, somewhere in there, it was like, maybe this could be a podcast. Like, mm -hmm. maybe we have smart things to say sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I initially pitched the podcast as just sort of like a little extra content for Patreon or something like that, because we spend so long working on an LFTS video. And then so much gets left on the floor. There's so much we end up talking about. And, th and then we turn it into like a nine minute video. So it's like, oh, like Trisha and Michael should just do like an hour on Jurassic Park where they talk about the process of writing the video or Michael and I could talk about collateral. Uh, and then it turned into like, well, what if we just actually did a podcast where like the four of us come together and actually kind of talk through the movies and talk about lessons and all that kind of stuff. And then it quickly became we don't have to have done a video on this movie to actually talk about it. We can just talk about whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of the story. The, the name for the podcast Beyond the Screenplay is something that I believe Vince had cooked up like early on into LFTS. I was just like, at some point you got to do a, a podcast. We got to call it Beyond the Screenplay, um, which brings us to our next question. When is Vince going to be on the podcast? Vince, when are you going to be on the podcast? Uh, I'm never going to be on the podcast. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Moving on to our next question. Uh, GE asks, so this is kind of a three-part question. So, uh, first of all, have you seen Arcane? If so, episode when? I have seen about half of the episodes of Arcane, so I'm still making my way through it. I'm really enjoying it. It's really cool. Have you guys seen any of it yet? Mm-mm, but it's very high on my list. Same. Right. Okay. So, stay tuned, maybe, but it is good, and there's definitely interesting story things to talk about. Uh, part two of this question can you describe how you select which movies you discuss on the podcast? And are there any movies that have been vetoed by another member? I can volunteer movies that I've vetoed later. But Brian, can you tell us how we select movies for the podcast? Yeah, I mean, the cool thing is for as far into the podcast as we are, there's not just sort of like a dry like, well, this is the next one on the list kind of thing. It's it's sort of an organic like, what are we feeling, you know, right now? Um and I think it's a the main, I would say, points are what is being talked about right now. Right. So, of course, we just did like the Matrix trilogy or, you know, something like that, like like just what is out there and either in the news or there's a new thing coming or whatever. That one's kind of an obvious one. Um, and then just stuff that one of us or multiple of us get like an itch to talk about. Like we have an episode of up in the air coming out soon, which was just like Michael being like up in the air. I'm like, me being like, yeah, like, <laughs> right. We just all sort of one or multiple of us like, that sounds great. That's exciting. Let's do it. Um, and then we do have, uh, I think Vince is the one who sends out the sort of Google form to give us um, uh, recommendations and stuff. And I've converted that into a spreadsheet that sorts by, like movies that have had multiple votes and stuff. And then the four of us can go in and X which ones we're interested in. And then I resort it. So it's sort of like a, a manual upvote system. Uh, so, you know, we did that and movies like Knives Out were super high on the list. And like, we're like, well, we all want to talk about Knives Out anyway. So let's do it. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I think like in terms of vetoing and stuff, like, if, if three of us really want to, usually the fourth one will stick it out. Or if they just really don't want to, then it's like, okay, when are, is that person out of town and we have a guest and, you know, whatever. So I think we just find ways to do it. But then, you know, I think Alex and I are kind of down to talk about whatever. So Alex and I are going to start a podcast called Alex and Brian <laughs> Get Weird, where we talk about like Ari Aster and David Lynch and all that kind of stuff. 
Yes, right. please. Michael and Trish, Trish and I will just have yeah. a... Michael and Trisha, stay safe. Yeah. <laughs> That's our podcast. It's just that thing you do every, <laughs> every episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, do, but Michael, do you want to list any movies you vetoed? I mean, if we, yeah, if I'll we want to name spot, but, yeah. some names. Uh, yeah, once looking over the spreadsheet, I was like, oh, I said no to Mahalan Drive, uh, which I'm... Uh, I'm more open to now. I I don't know that, but Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Hereditary, mm. and The Goonies are examples of movies that it's just it's not. Don't hold your breath, everybody. That's not going to happen. It's beyond the pale for Michael. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we have some kind of questions about like the creative process and stuff like that. So uh, Weston Hustis Hustis asks. Uh, when y'all are in the process of writing your own material, at what point do you open it up to critique? Uh, bonus question, who's your favorite Spider-Man and why is it emo Tobey Maguire? I think actually Andrew Garfield is my favorite Spider-Man. Wow. I, I agree wow. with that. Okay. Not my favorite yeah. Spider-Man movies, but my favorite Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so during the writing process, when do you ask for feedback? Uh, so feedback is really important. I think we've talked about that a lot. And I, I feel like there's kind of, in my mind, there's sort of two approaches and it, it can kind of depend on the person and the project. I think sometimes it can be really great to get feedback early and often if you are psychologically have the constitution to deal with that. Um, <laughs> but I also think at some point in any project, I find that I, I hit a wall where all the, you know, going over the script again and doing another pass and doing tweaks at some point you reach diminishing returns and it's like you've lost objectivity and I don't know if I'm making it good or worse anymore. And I feel like that's the sign where you like, you definitely need feedback at that point because you have to have another person's uh, perspective to help shake things loose. Um, so yeah, so I think there's lots of different ways to do it. And that's how I, you know, that's when I know it's time for sure. But earlier in the process, if I can, if I feel like it won't disrupt things, um, I like to get feedback early. Um, yeah. What about you guys? Anything to add? I mean, I think for me, uh, an approach I think I've been taking with our most recent project, Michael, is just wanting to at least um, get like the first draft of the script to a place where it's at least reflecting accurately the intent and like the vision um, so that if I get feedback on it, it's not already like lost in translation of like my intent isn't even clear because mm. I want somebody to read what I've written and understand what I'm going for. And if 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 that's not even clear, then the feedback I'm getting back may be on a different idea than even the idea I'm trying to communicate. So mm -hmm. so it's 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 a it's a tricky balance because you don't want to yeah, agonize for months and years on a first draft that is then going to maybe change entirely because uh, a core, uh, you know, structural weakness is identified. But I, I also, I have done, I think I have gotten feedback sometimes on an idea when it was, wasn't like fully baked yet. And it's like the people reading that are reading something different than even what I intended. And I almost didn't give the idea that I was trying to put forth like the due diligence uh, right. to, to like ha have a chance, you know, at life <laughs> before it was like <laughs> kind of torn apart because I didn't even like get to that stage. Um, so that, that, that is part of the tricky balance is like, yeah, how much do you want to invest into, you know, a, a first draft or whatever kind of first pass at your idea uh, so that it is 
clearly the idea you want to put out into the world and yet you haven't like staked your life on it <laughs> for for way too much time so that when the core issues are identified which usually they are uh you're not just so devastated as you just give up and walk away yeah right yeah yeah i think that ties into this idea also of like depending on who you're getting feedback from someone can only read your thing for the first time once so right kind of like curating that first experience sometimes is a consideration yeah i think for me it obviously just depends on the project and like what it's for. And I think that that's a, a really big thing to consider. So like when I was working on developing a spec with my manager, I was getting feedback from him constantly, like even just like on seeds of ideas, because with that project, we had very specific goals in mind. Um, and so it's like, we were even, you know, starting even in just like premise ideation phase, like working with my manager, because it was like, we have to have this and this and this for sure. Um, or it's not going to achieve the goals that we want to achieve for it. And then we continued working from there. So, um, and then of course, you know, you often, if you are working, um, with other people, because you are, this is going to be made or you're developing it with, you know, producers or whoever, those people are there every step of the way too. So I think it just is like, what is the, what is the end product? Like, thinking about where it's headed and then who your partners are on that journey. And like, um, you know, making sure that you're always pointing towards the end goal um, and having those people, you know, in the car with you while you're driving on the way there. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a phase of the process where those people can take a nap and you're just driving the car by yourself <laughs> for quite a while. And then sometimes like they're constantly helping you navigate. So, yeah. Trisha watched Drive My Car last I night, really so. did. It's so long. <laughs> <laughs> it's so long. It's so long. It's so beautiful. It's three hours long. But anyway, yeah. car metaphors. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll just add to that very quickly. Like for me, it's just when I don't know what to do next. And sometimes that's a good thing. It means I've read, I've read my script twice and... I haven't made any big changes other than little tweaks and stuff. And sometimes it means I know there's a problem here. I'm not sure what it is, or I don't really know how to, how to solve it, you know, and, and both of those cases, it's great to have other people read them and give you feedback. Cause if you think your script is great and people say, here's 10 notes, that's great too, because you, because your script, as you were kind of saying, Alex, like your script is already strong enough that reworking it and stuff shouldn't be as hard as if it's really sloppy and you don't know kind of where to go. <laughs> you know it's still in very early phases yeah yeah and i think just the more you write and the more you get practice at getting feedback you'll kind of figure out for yourself when and and how and yeah the best way to do that now more than ever people are working remotely and having to share files across great distances and if you work in video production like me odds are those files are pretty large and odds are that you need to get them to the recipient as soon as possible. That's why I recommend checking out our sponsor for this episode, Massive. Massive is a file sharing service that lets media professionals quickly transfer terabytes of data to anyone in the world over the cloud. With Massive, there are no limits to the amount of data you can send. And Massive has 150 servers worldwide, which means whoever you're sending the file to will be able to download it at a maximum unthrottled speed. Transfers are encrypted, so no one but the sender and recipient can access the files. And sending files with Massive is super simple. You don't need a subscription to sign up or a complicated IT setup. 
Just pay as you go at 25 cents per gigabyte. To learn more and to sign up for Massive, head to massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay. When you sign up at that link, you'll get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay for 100 gigabytes free. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you to Massive for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so our next question uh, from, I'm going to say this wrong, Kurti Vandavili is definitely not right, but that's what I said. Uh, He says, uh, or they say, hello from Nashville. Question, when you write or shoot a project and you are attracted to various types of applicable aesthetics, how do you choose one consistent style for the entire project as opposed to a mixed bag of diluted styles? Um, And then he also says, thanks, P.S. I'm from India, and I began and binged this podcast while living there and traveling two hours every day for college. Uh, I have to say thank you, guys. Uh, You're reaching corners of the world that you would not even anticipate, uh, primarily because of the quality and earnestness of your discussion. So a big hi. So that is super sweet. And thank you. That's like so amazing to hear. Um, Okay, but yeah, so when creating a project, how do you arrive at a consistent style? Trisha, I feel like you have a thought. Uh, I do. And the answer is like theme, obviously. Um, and I've, I talk about theme all the time. Um, but to me, theme should guide every single creative decision in a project. And like thinking about why you want to make this, what is it about for you, like deeply and truly, and then using that to make sure that every single piece is designed so that it is serving that theme. And that a lot of that goes back to genre, right? Like theme is always uh, embedded in genre. And like we film noir is about a certain certain kinds of themes and like Westerns are about certain kinds of themes. Action movies can be about certain kinds of things. And so making sure that like you are using cinematic language that's rooted in cinematic history and that's what genre is, right? It's like we make a finite amount usually of kinds of movies basically. And that might feel constricting, but it's really freeing, right? Where because if you're working in a certain genre and not that genres can't be blended or played with or whatever, but like Mm -hmm. you're operating using existing cinematic language to get the audience into the right mode that you want them to be in to receive your story. Um, And so starting with genre, starting with theme, and then using that to like whittle down and whittle down toward like, what is the, what are the stylistic choices that are going to best serve this and have the effect that I want to have, want them to have on the audience. Um, And so I think, yeah, it's, Obviously, style is like another huge question to begin with. Um, mm. But I think that's where I always go to. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really smart way to ground your decision making in something like practical and functional, of like looking at what is your story? What's going to serve that the best? Yeah. Um, yeah. Alex? Thoughts? <clears throat> yeah. You know, that's that is the that's like the definitely the like the the place where you should start is in these big picture questions about what is the goal of this film yeah thematically genre goals all that stuff and then for me when i'm kind of like in the thick of it when i'm in the midst of writing once i've made those bigger decisions it actually sometimes helps me because i'm a very musical person and kind of think in music to make a playlist that actually has 
a really consistent kind of feeling tone that lines up with that genre, with that thematic kind of, it's almost like, yeah, trying to put like music to that logical decision that was made um, actually helps me stay into kind of a, a certain mindset while writing a script, um, which kind of helps create a tonal consistency as I'm writing. And then when it gets to actual actually shooting something, um, then it really is all about just like in every moment of this story, um, how is the way I'm shooting this supporting, you know, the the theme, the character, the the the, the information that needs to be communicated right now in the plot. You know, information is not just communicated via dialogue or via an action happening. It's also being communicated via the lighting and the shot composition and the camera movement. You know, that is all information on top of the kind of just pure content. Um, so that's also just like, yeah, when, when you're shooting something, you know, every style choice should be enhancing and supporting uh, the story you're telling, not cutting against it, unless that's like part of the intent. Um, but I, but there's, there's a very unnerving feeling you can get in a, in a film when the style does not seem to be like, in sync with the rest of the yeah the thematic uh or, or you know character content is, is if it's cutting against it then you're not yeah it, it becomes an incoherent kind of experience yeah and that goes back to i think like doing some research and again going back into like history like find your comps you know pick three movies yeah. that you want your movie to be like and be like it's yeah. going to be like this and this and this and then watch those movies over and over and over again and pay attention to what they're doing in those three movies. If that's how you want your movie to feel um, mm -hmm. like pay attention to the shot composition, pay attention to the music and sound design. And like, those are the kinds of things that are going to give your film the texture of these other films. And again, you can blend like from different genres and different ideas. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and having those references for yourself is going to really help you. And they'll also help you pitch your movie. <laughs> like if someone wants to know yeah. with the style and tone of your thing, we did a, yeah, a Stranger Things video about this exact thing. It's like, it's like Stephen King novels and it's like 80s movies. And it's like, here it is. And then here, those are the, the comps or the things that you want to like blend together. Comp standing for like comparisons. Comparisons, yeah. Right, yeah, lingo term. Yeah, I'll echo both of both of those, which is to say, I also make playlists when I write and I listen to the same playlist in the same order every time. So it's like, I feel like your body and your mind get into the, a place, you know, and, and it's like, it knows it's time to keep working on this thing um, and very much matching the mood of whatever I'm, whatever I'm making. Um, but yeah, I love making little like pitch docs and slides and things like that to be able to show someone like this is somewhere between freaks and geeks and the breakfast club or this is somewhere you know this is something and you kind of like you can think of those almost like <laughs> pick four movies and put them as like dots in a in a square and yeah. then stay in that square basically right so if you're mm -hmm. like i want it to be kind of like a charlie kaufman wes anderson movie well then you probably don't have like poop jokes in there right <laughs> but then if you're like i want to make a zany comedy then like you don't want to have like a gory death scene right like you kind of want to to figure out the boundaries of what you're working on and then just try to stay inside those boundaries. And if you go outside those boundaries, make sure it is for, as you know, as Trisha's saying, like a thematic reason or a, a strong story reason. Like there's a reason you weren't expecting this kind of thing to happen, but that's actually what makes it compelling. Yeah. 
I will also say Pinterest has become one of my favorite places because That's it's really just cute. so good. At, like, <laughs> oh, right. I like that image. And then it's like, here's a million other images. And they're like, yes, that and yes, that. And it's really easy to get to go down a rabbit hole that is maybe unhealthy, but that can help you helps me anyway, figure out visually mood wise. OK, yeah, no, it's like it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. And then at the end, you have this board kind of like you were saying, Brian, collection of images, aesthetics that help you. Uh, explain it to yourself and also explain it to other people. And all this also kind of ties into a, another question that we got from Jazz Jack Rabbit that was essentially asking about uh, style over substance. And I feel like kind of what we're saying here and the big takeaway is that when done well, style can be substance. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a false duality. And so kind of like you were saying, Trisha, like interrogate the style of other things that you like to figure out what are they using that style to do so that you now have those tools to say, okay, now I know how to use those styles to enhance the substance of my story. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, real quick, I've been thinking about that with movies that are in four, three aspect ratio recently. And like mm. most of the time I can exactly point to why, like, what are you trying to do thematically and, and mood wise, you know, to make me feel a little more claustrophobic during this movie, the lighthouse or first reformed or something, as opposed to we did it cause it's cool and weird. And like, that's an yeah. artsy thing to do. Right. Right. Uh, okay, awesome. Uh, JMW Music, who I also see is in the chat. Hello there. Uh, I have a 45-minute commute and catching up uh, with the podcast keeps me going. My question is this. We hear so much about the story circle and the fulfilling hero's arc, etc. Uh, what are some movies that you think are successful in spite of having a flat arc that defies a lot of the good storytelling principles we hold so dear? Um, so... First of all, I'm just going to say uh, Sage uh, from the channel Just Write has a video called Writing Characters Without Character Arcs. And it's basically all about uh, the flat character arc and uses uh, K.M. Weiland's book, Creating Character Arcs. That's, I've said that so many times. Um, <laughs> and examines, yeah, her her breakdown of a flat arc. And so like one of the examples is like a Back to the Future or Paddington um, where the movies are... It's not about the characters changing. It's about how these characters change everybody else around them. And they're right. kind of like the rock and everybody else is the thing that's that's going on the arc and being changed by the interactions with them. Yeah, I think I compared Paddington to Elf when we did our podcast, which was both mm -hmm. movies about just like this very sort of happy character who feels like unearthly positive but then it like they shape the characters around them by not changing by sort of refusing to to like adapt to real <laughs> real humans basically yeah what about bob maybe as an example i was gonna say <laughs> what about bob yeah <laughs> yeah that's a fun one yeah any other examples or thoughts that we can think of yeah i was also thinking about um a clockwork orange which is a movie where Spoiler, um, where the character doesn't change, like is unable to be changed at the end. Um, they bring him in uh, and try to make him stop being this terrible person that he is. But the end is like a celebration of the fact that he's not, which is a super dark ending. But then you start to realize like, oh, right, this is a commentary about sort of free will and the society surrounding the character and that kind of thing. So I think like Paddington, uh, it's it's a movie where the the character's refusal to change is the point, you know, and I think that's where flat character arcs are. You have movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark where they're they're just not that interested in in a huge character arc. Um, but I think there are um, the movies that are most compelling are movies where 
the character's refusal to change is either a positive or negative thing that the movie is trying to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Chat just shouted out uh, Knives Out, but also Nightcrawler. I think Nightcrawler is a, oh, Nightcrawler's yeah. a good example. Yeah. yeah. Really good one. Awesome. Okay. So <clears throat> Andrew asks, if you had to pick five movies to watch, not just have on in the background, but to watch once every month for the rest of your life, what would they be? So five movies that you have to watch once a month for the rest of your life. Alex, what are they? <laughs> I mean, it's hard because like even the best movies at some point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, I said, I'll go with my gut. So here's what came to the top of mind. Um, I just watched Children of Men last night uh, because I'm preparing for another podcast um, called uh, My Favorite Movie. Um, and Maybe. Children of Men is just like uh it's the kind of movie where every time i see it i've seen it so many times i'm i'm pausing to look at um details in the background i'm hearing new like audio details uh in, in the world of the film so that film I, I can just watch over and over again for just the amount of information that is packed into like the cinematic language um it's just fun to keep seeing new layers and how just amazing it is um the New World uh, is just like, I think, a very mm. relaxing and beautiful uh, Terrence Malick film that also has great romance and drama. Um, so I can just kind of simmer in that world uh, <laughs> over and over again. Um, Eternal Sunshine. I'm always good for some good just like feels, some good uh, heartbreak feels. And so I can probably watch that one over and over again. Um, I was trying to think of... Yeah, I, I can watch like BBC nature documentaries over and over again, but most of those are TV shows. <laughs> But there is a there is a, a film documentary called Oceans that was made by a French uh, filmmaker that got distributed by like Disney in the U.S. But um, it's just it's on the same level of just like the most insanely gorgeous ocean cinematography with beautiful music. So I'm fine to watch that over and over again. No problem. And my last one was just a kind of a random gut decision. But um, I heart Huckabees is just a movie <laughs> that just tickles me. And I just kind of love living with those actors in that world. Uh, and so I think I would enjoy just going there over and over again. Nice. Okay, cool. All right, Brian, what about you? Uh, the easy answers for me were Labyrinth, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, which are just movies mm -hmm. that I... Um, I love dearly, but also I just find them to be so entertaining and so watchable and like they just they put me in a great mood, but also I I just never get tired of them. I'm never like, I could watch it again. I'm like, yes, I could watch that right now. Um, and then Big Lebowski, I think, is another one that's that's up there. Um, and then I, you know, I had like Fellowship of the Ring or and Empire Strikes Back as options, but then I was like, I kind of do like being able to save them for a i haven't watched this in two years and i'm ready to kind of go back in uh so so yeah i don't know what my fifth choice is but it would like i certainly wouldn't mind if it were something like that but then i sort of doubted myself because i was like no i like there is something nice about restraint right where it's like you wait a long time to watch something or listen to an album or play a game and then when you finally do again then then you love it so that's my cop out of not having a fifth choice <laughs> great okay <laughs> trisha what about you Ugh, let's see. I I picked initially a couple of like classic films that I just will watch because they make me happy, like Singing in the Rain. I watch a lot. Uh, Casablanca, nice. I watch a lot, but that's also mm. one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and then there's some action movies that I could watch pretty much infinitely. Um, so like Casino Royale, I think, is one that I watch like mm -hmm. over and over again. Um, 
The Matrix is another one that I would watch like over and over again. Um, and then I didn't really know. I had a hard time deciding what I was going to give the last slot to. It's probably Jurassic Park, which is my favorite movie. So I I feel like I could watch that every month just about. But yeah, um, you know, I have other like really favorite movies like No Country for Old Men and stuff. But I, I don't know if every month, if that's like every <laughs> yeah, month right. movie, it's quite a lot. Yeah. 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 Th- that fifth slot is a uh, tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, might put, so, yeah. I might say Blade Runner for my fifth. I'm just like looking wow. at like movies that like I just like being in, you know, being in, in the world, world and could do that a lot. That's Michael. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So my yeah gut just started typing stuff was uh, The Force Awakens, uh, Ex Machina, <laughs> Seven, and Oof. When Harry Met Sally. Real chaotic over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is my brain. Uh, and then, yeah, the fifth slot. At first, I wrote Up in the Air because uh, we just talked about that, and I love that movie. And then I was like, what about The Hunt for Red October? Uh, but then I was like, wait, wait, no, but really every month? Uh, and then going through our list of episodes now, I was like, the favorite? Maybe I could watch the okay. favorite. Yeah, I maybe could, yeah. Month. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the favorite. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, it's an interesting thought exercise that every time these kind of like, yeah, the desert islandy questions come up, I get tense of like, like this comes up so often that my brain is like, do I need to be preparing for this? Like, is this an eventuality <laughs> is that is going to occur? Because everyone's talking about it a lot of the time. Yeah, right. A situation in which you have nothing except for five movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, right. That's what I liked about this question, because that's the, the, the normal one is like, you could only watch these movies. But I like this question was like, you can do anything you right. want, but you have to watch this, like each of these movies once a month. I was like, ooh, that's, in, that's an interesting take on the sort of Desert Island thing. Cool. Okay. So uh, we got several questions about uh, the Oscars. So we're kind of just going to roll them all into one big question. But yeah, from Tariq and Abel and Aaron McCombray, multiple people asked about the Oscars. So generally, what are our thoughts on the Oscars, I guess, as an institution and on the nominations this year? Trisha, take it away. Sure. So I'm known among friends and family as like the Oscars super fan. Um, I haven't missed the Oscars since 1992. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was a little while ago. It was. Um, and, you know, I think one of our uh, one of our patrons asked, like, you know, do we care about them um, or like, are they worth caring about, basically? And the sort of answer that I give to people when this question is raised, because I think it is a it's a common question. It's a valid question. Um, is that is two things. The first is that in every single industry, pretty much, um, the industry will come together and award excellence within its own industry. So if you are a vacuum cleaner salesman, then you can win a vacuum cleaner salesman of the year award uh, in your industry. Um, apparently, the 1950s uh, over here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure there's a conference that you go to. No, for I, that. I'm sure there right. is. Yeah. 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 It's the idea that like, in the entertainment business, the Oscars are like special or unique is not necessarily true is, is what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to raise with that, which is that, mm. you know, not every, not every excellence in an industry 
<laughs> award thing is televised. And obviously people are not famous. I don't know who the vacuum cleaner salesman of the year was last year, <laughs> but like... <laughs> It was my dad. (laughs) Mr. Bittner. But like there is a good and standard well-established practice within an industry to award excellence within itself by people, you know, that understand what the job takes and what it means to be good at the job and what it means to advance the industry. And that is what the Oscars are designed to do. That's what they were created to do. Now, So I think that that as a principle is a good thing. Like people do innovate and they do push the envelope and they do create new technology in the entertainment business. And they do, you know, give landmark performances and they do release movies that change the way that we think about movies. Those are, those are all, that's all excellence that exists within the entertainment business. And the idea that a, a somebody, that the industry itself would come together and point to these things and say, this is new, this is different, this is excellent, this is outstanding. And we want to just say that to the people who made it is a good thing. Um, now, so that's thing number one. Thing number two <laughs> is, although the Academy Awards does not always recognize every instance of excellence Uh and some of the films that they do choose to recognize as being excellent are perhaps not upon reflection (laughs) they do still matter the academy doesn't always get it right but what it chooses to honor actually is really important in terms of who is going to go out from this place, go out from the Oscars and get more opportunities and get to make more movies. And it is going to uh, direct the, um, yeah, the direction of the industry where it goes from here. So like, you know, maybe you don't think that whatever should have won best picture. Well, okay. That's, you might be right about that actually. Um, But the people who made that movie probably are going to get some more opportunities to make more movies and you are going to have to see them next year the year after that <laughs> so like you're not selling me on this trisha I'm just saying, <laughs> it, for good and for bad right yeah a movie mm-hmm. like drive by car that's nominated this year um you know is a japanese film starring people that we might not be familiar with and we might get to see them from in new things and get to see more from this director that otherwise might not have gotten distribution. And so that really matters going forward into the future that it has an Oscar nomination. And so, like, I don't think the layperson I don't, needs to care about the Oscars if they don't want to. But to say they don't matter, um, which I know that's not what our patron said, but, like, I think I, that question does get raised, like, do they matter? Yeah. Um, yes, they do. They really, really do. Um, in terms of what, where do we go from here? The Oscars is like a signpost that tells us where we go from here. Um, and so it does, if you care about film, it matters a great deal for that reason. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I think, yeah, I think the, the nice thing and also the problem sometimes with the Oscars is that it can be sort of this like echo chamber of like, here are the 12 movies we decided are the Oscar movies this year and all of the like all the nominations are going to go to those same 12 movies. Right. And a lot of them are the familiar director who, well, they, we didn't give them best picture three years ago. So I guess we'll give a nomination this year. It starts to feel a little insular, but to Trisha's point, then you have 
the the parasites and the drive my cars and the you know worst person in the world who like they get in and then yeah. when they get in then that's a huge thing because then now now that that filmmaker or actor is being sort of elevated to this kind of new status right so i think there, there's a downside where it's like like nightmare alley i thought the movie was fine i didn't think it was the best it should be a best picture nominee over something like lost daughter or come on come on that's my personal opinion, obviously, but it does feel a little like, oh, it's the guy who we gave Best Picture to a few years ago. Let's, I guess this should be nominated for Best Picture too, right? It starts to feel a little kind of repetitive in that way. But I genuinely, my top five of, you know, most years have a lot of Oscar nominated movies in them. I don't like think, I don't, arms folded like, oh, that's the the mainstream movies that like the squares care about, you know, like, um, and it's also, as Trisha was saying, it's, it's wonderful to see people that you care about getting celebrated. You know, I think it was like, um, Francis McDormand, Gary Oldman and Sam Rockwell, all won best acting awards in the same year. And it was just like a little present that someone handed me. Right. And it was like, <laughs> here are all your favorite people and they're all getting awards. Um, so that's fun too. And and it's just a nice kind of guidepost, I think, every year to be like, yeah. if, if you're trying to figure out what the movies from the previous year are, you should watch. Like that's a that's a pretty good starting point, you know. Uh, I also like to look at other lists that other people have made and, and try to see what is on the most, but the Oscars is certainly a, a very solid starting point. Yeah. 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 And it's a great way to get yeah, it's kind of what you guys are saying, but to kind of take the temperature of the movie industry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To just kind of sum it all up of like Parasite won Best Picture. That's news. Like, that means something. Right. That says something about where we are and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely has a function. Um, do we have any particularly interesting thoughts on the nominations this year? I mean, I think it would be really fascinating if they gave it to West Side Story, because I can't think of another instance in which a remake of an right. Oscar Best Picture winner from 1961 mm was remade and then was also like excellent. I haven't seen West Side Story yet because I really want to go to the theater and do it right. Mm -hmm. But I think that would be just like a, a very interesting turn for this year if it went that way. Um, I think, as I always say, like if you want to know what the real Best Picture nominees are, look at the Best Director list. So, you know, they mm -hmm. nominated a full set of 10 this year, but... They also, they usually really only nominate five. And so those are kind of... Yeah, you can always name three or four that are definitely not going to win. Yeah. <laughs> um, ever since they expanded it back out to 10, but still only are nominating five directors, it's like, ah, we know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you could take a look at that. I'll be I'll be curious to see how it goes. Um, and uh, yes, obviously I'll be watching. I think there's a live watch along also going to happen on the Discord, so... yes. If you're on Patreon, join us on Discord. If you are not, join us on Patreon. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. The Patreon Discord is a crazy place Ooh. and an amazing <laughs> place. They've started to self-organize. There's a book club. There's like watch-alongs <laughs> happening that I don't even know are going on. It's, it's out of our hands now. It's pretty yeah. amazing. I think they're building an army. <laughs> There's a, a whole... beautiful community, you guys. <laughs> it is. It is. No, it, it is. is. I, I talk about it in fear, but that's only because I'm so in awe of it. So, yeah. yeah. Self-organizing <laughs> magic. Sentient <laughs> army. Yes. It has become sentient. 
Hello, everybody. Michael here, joined by Alex. Hello. And this episode is brought to you by Mubi, which is a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. And Alex is here to tell us about one of these exceptional films that you can watch right now on Mubi. Alex, what are you going to tell us about? So I was really excited to discover a movie on Mubi that I could not find anywhere else, which is an IMAX documentary called Voyage of Time created by Terrence Malick. Oh. And this movie is essentially the evolution sequence in Tree of Life, but expanded out to a 46-minute IMAX presentation. You know, it's basically, if you were wondering why there was the evolution of, you know, consciousness and life in the middle of a movie about, like, a kid in Texas, <laughs> this kind of removes it from that context and just makes it a glorious a poetic vision of the history of time by Terrence Malick with Brad Pitt narrating... Wow. And by narration, I mean whispering poetic phrases occasionally about, you know, <laughs> what is life and what is choice and what is consciousness over strange and beautiful images of evolution, uh, including the bad CGI dinosaurs you remember from Tree of Life, but so much more. And Mubi is even presenting it in glorious 4K. So highly recommended if you want kind of a weird, wonderful Terrence Malick uh, history lesson. And you truly cannot find it anywhere else. I have tried. And I'm so excited that Mubi has found it and is giving it to us. That is uh, amazing and sounds totally bonkers and awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so movie, if you don't know, Everyday Movie premieres a new film from brand new work from emerging filmmakers to modern masterpieces by some of today's greatest icons. There's always something new to discover on movie. And each and every film is hand selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Very personal in the case of Alex that he can't find anywhere else. To try movie for free for 30 days, simply click on the link in the show notes. Or if you're watching on YouTube, click the pop up in the top right of the screen or simply head to movie.com slash beyond the screenplay that's m-u-b-i.com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free thanks to movie for sponsoring beyond the screenplay and now back to the episode Okay, well, uh, really quickly, we also had a question on uh, what films are y'all looking forward to uh, this year? Um, we were talking about this briefly earlier, and Brian knew the answer for me, <laughs> and I think for all of us. Yeah, so Brian, Brian will what, tell us. <laughs> yeah, what are we looking forward to this year? Well, I just looked at my list and then applied them to to you guys. So I figured Alex would be looking forward to The Northman, the new uh, The Northman, the new Robert, Robert Eggers film. Uh, Trisha and I are both going to be looking forward to Thor Love and Thunder for sure. Um, and, uh, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse part one, which yeah. is, yeah, they're, they're doing the Dune. Um, and then Michael, I figured you'd be looking forward to Top Gun and Black Panther. And I think we're all looking forward to Mission Impossible and Jordan Peele's new movie. Nope. And yeah. Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> goddamn trailer. Some people will see that. It, it, <laughs> it made me say, I guess I'm going to see this movie. <laughs> because I feel like I want to, which Ellie is Sattler. a weird feeling. Alan Grant. <laughs> this is why you don't watch trailers. Speaking of trailers, <laughs> we have a question from Evan Westman. What are each of your favorite trailers? And while we're at it, what trailer did you feel most betrayed by upon seeing the movie? Uh, it was advertised. Yeah, I, I, Alex. I know you love trailers. What, I do what love did trailers. you? What did you end up with here? 
I was thinking back to, yeah, what was the first trailer that I was like obsessed with? And I think it was for the Lost World Jurassic Park Um, because I think that was like early Internet days. So I was able to get a tiny like quick time video that like very slowly loaded so I could watch it over and over again. But I believe I saw it in theaters for the first time before screening of Volcano, the Tommy Lee Jones movie. Which is an amazing. Oh, my God. Can we talk about that? I would love to. I mean, I watched it again recently. Man, the visual effects do not hold up. (laughs) Um, But uh, but seeing that trailer in theaters was just the most amazing experience because, of course, I was already obsessed with Jurassic Park from a few years earlier. It had made me want to become a filmmaker. And now here was new Jurassic Park content uh, in a a legitimately good trailer with like music from The Rock or something. It it was you know good trailer music, amazing shots of uh, T-Rexes chasing people and Velociraptors jumping out of the grass. And I was just in heaven and so i watched that trailer a million times um but later on i think inception is a landmark trailer uh, of just being really super cool and establishing the han zimmer (laughs) sound that is mandatory now in all uh, epic trailers and then we've also talked about this recently on the matrix podcast but there was that magical moment when they were announcing the matrix sequels and just had a short teaser announcing both titles and showing just select images from these upcoming movies. And it was just the most wonderful, amazing moment. Maximum hype. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is, it's it's like everybody's answer, but I really can't think of a bigger trailer to movie disappointment than Prometheus, where it Mm -hmm. it is just one of the best trailers ever. Maybe, you know, the way it's cut, the sound, the music, um, it, it pointed to like, just an amazing, amazing sci-fi movie. And the movie itself feeling so disjointed was like, wait a minute, but the trailer promised like such craft, such mastery. Why does this movie feel so like weirdly sloppy while looking so beautiful? Um, So Prometheus, I think still remains the like weirdest, like what? Mm -hmm. This trailer promised so much. And (laughs) what is this? Yeah. 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 I was going to go with Prometheus for most betrayed, uh, but then decided last minute. No, actually, Rogue One, I feel I like wondered, the, yeah. the deepest betrayal mm. for me of because well, there's case, shots it, in the trailer that aren't in the movie. Exactly. Like, that one's literally just yeah, <laughs> right. lies. Like, lies. Uh, but it's an amazing trailer, but it's full of lies. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, hold yeah, on. Sorry. JMW Music. Uh, I have to point to that one as well. Yeah, there was like the first, one of the first trailers for Interstellar, not like the final trailer, but they used that V for Vendetta music track, which is like cheating. Mm -hmm. And it was the the most, one of the most exciting moments in recent years for me as far as trailers, just because it, it, you had Michael Caine's voice saying like something epic about the future of humanity with the V for Vendetta, like swelling music and shots of like, a, a ship in space and i just you know i couldn't do not go so gentle into that good doc mm-hmm. exactly yeah like <laughs> you can't get better than that yeah yeah good job chat um yeah i was going to uh i had prometheus and rogue one on my list and then x-men 3 was also another one where mm-hmm. it was like i i wasn't excited about like the director change and everything but then the trailer came out and i was like okay all right i'm on board and then no no good um, but the trailer I always think of when people ask for a favorite trailer, it's sort of cheating because there's no footage from the movie in this trailer. Um, but, and I might've mentioned on a Q and a before it's called the minus man. 
which is Owen Wilson, uh, like sort of a dark, I don't know if I don't want to say dark comedy necessarily, but like a dark, weird, quirky movie uh, with Owen Wilson. And the trailer is this couple walking out of a theater and the Minus Man is on the marquee and they are sort of discussing the movie and like, no, he did it because, because he loved them. And that's why da da da. And you know, we go and we go and then they're in a different location, different location. And suddenly the sun comes up and the woman goes <gasps> and she runs and she runs and cuts to like a locker room. She runs in and she gets changed and she runs out into an indoor pool and she's dressed as a lifeguard and there are bodies floating in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and then it says the minus man you could talk about it for hours wow wow but i love it because it's so dumb and quirky and silly but it so perfectly captures the soul of the movie without mm. showing you a frame of the movie because it is a dark quirky weird movie uh, that that's not like you know a trailer i would recommend anyone make but in terms <laughs> of like i feel like i know what this movie feels like but without a single frame being spoiled thumbs up that's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. I was reminded of a couple of animated movie trailers that totally rocked me. And one of them is The Lion King, where they just mm -hmm. released the entire like first two minutes of the movie or whatever, um, huh. which is that amazing song, you know, Circle of Life. And it's yeah. like all that gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous animation, that incredible song. And then it like, you know, cuts to like, Boom, The Lion King. And that was just the entire trailer that they did. And I remember sitting in the movie theater in probably 1992 or three or whatever it was and just being like, what is that movie? I need to see it. <laughs> um, and then I remembered, too, that they did. Uh, I was about. Thank you, Larry. I was about to get to the Lilo and Stitch trailer, which was excellent. <laughs> they did like a few of them. Um, but yeah, and then I, they did a similar thing with Pocahontas where they just released the entire mm. like Colors of the Wind um, song. And that was it. They just mm. showed the entire song, gorgeous animation, just like sweeping, you know, epic, beautiful. Um, and then they later on when they did Lilo and Stitch, they did these amazing series of trailers where they pulled in characters from other Disney movies and had them interacting with Stitch. And there's one where like, Aladdin and Jasmine are flying on a carpet, right? And then uh, Stitch pulls up in his, like, red spaceship. And Jasmine, like, gets in with him and, like, leaves Aladdin and, like, rides off with Stitch. Um, anyway, they did... Those are really fun as well that were really, like, self-referential and irreverent. Um, but, yeah, animated trailers uh, in, in the during the Disney Renaissance were just, like knock you over with how beautiful the music and the animation is and it was very easy to yeah larry pointed out yeah get your own movie is what aladdin said to stitch basically was, <laughs> um pretty clever so and then the other one i thought of was also mentioned in the chat ryan smallman brought up the logan trailer which is one that i you know uh mm. pretty iconic in terms of adult movies that i remember seeing mm. and feeling interested in nice yeah yeah and i, I feel like it's really quick i want to mention Inception, obviously, the Force Awakens teaser, oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. really did it for me. Cause, like, that was like yeah. a big moment of like <laughs> the first time you're going to see, like, what is new start? Like, just so much anticipation uh, and it just like nailing it for me. Yeah. yeah. Actually, on that, on that note, part of those early, like, tiny quick time loading screen <laughs> era right. trailers, episode one, 
trailer yeah. oh, that yeah. begin with like the Windows desktop, like XP, like Green Hills, and then <laughs> some spaceships like Come over. rise above it mm. is also a formative trailer moment for me. Nice. Yeah. I watched a lot of Attack of the Clones trailers. Uh, I liked those trailers. Um, <laughs> and uh, also just the social network and the girl with the dragon tattoo, like yeah, David Fincher trailers. Yeah. Just like the editing cool. is insane. It's yeah. so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, good trailers out there. Um, okay. <clears throat> so kind of getting back to more, uh, processy industry stuff, uh, Kyle Brewster, congrats on a thousand patrons. My question is, uh, what's the best way to get started writing and selling screenplays for features? Uh, he lives in Oregon, um, and is sort of considering there's like the more traditional like path of hounding potential managers with spec scripts and stuff, or, uh, after being inspired by Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography, he was like, well, maybe it's better to like produce my own stuff and, and get noticed that way. But so my first thought when reading this was we, we've we talked to Sev Ohanian before, who's a producer and writer. Uh, we talked to him about Run, um, his movie that he, he co-wrote and produced. And one of the pieces of advice he said in that was that it's people always say, you know, it's who you know in Hollywood, but he feels like it's more who knows you. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's a hallmark of this new era of like, it seems like you have to have a reason for people to be reaching out to you because getting through all the gatekeepers is super, super difficult. Um, so I would say any, that's my instinct anyways, anything that helps establish you and brings attention to you so that people want to talk to you uh, is a good way forward because it's, there's a lot of people and it's hard. It's just a hard thing. But yeah, Trisha, did you have any other thoughts there? I have so many, um, but I do want to echo what you said just there, Michael, because um, yeah, in this world where like you kind of, you have to have something in your pocket already that, you know, makes you special or stand out. And so like you could write the greatest spec script ever um, and you should do that. Um, but then you also have to submit it to a screenplay competition and or a fellowship or whatever. And so then you can take that and be like, hey, I'm a Nichols finalist, like, or whatever it is, and have something that's attached to your spec script that is an indicator of quality. And so then you can say to somebody, oh, I won this competition. Oh, my my thing, um, you know, was in this festival or whatever. You made, you know, and we won this award. So having those... Uh, indicators of quality is really important or just being notable in and of yourself. Like, you know, um, I, part of the reason that I have, uh, the representation that I have today is because I was talking to various agents and managers. And the person that I ended up signing with was somebody who was a fan of the podcast, um, and knew who I was before I ever like talked to him. Um, and so that's, you know, it helps if you stand out in some way, honestly, like social media, it, it's a drag to play the game, but like playing the game is you can win it if you play it very well. So on various different platforms, like, you know, they talk about, obviously Instagram is like the actors and the models platform. Um, and you know, if like it or not, Twitter is the writer's platform because it's how you, you have to write tweets. And so, um, that's a, not the only way to get noticed, but if you can do it well, you can, people are getting hired and fired on Twitter, off of Twitter these days. Writers are, Mm -hmm. 
um, well and truly. So, um, but then, yeah, there's various ways in, you know, um, script competitions, fellowships, as I mentioned, um, making something of your own, if you want to have creative control over it is a way to go, but then you got to go through festivals. And probably if you're doing that, you got to start with shorts. It's a long road any way that you slice it. Um, and it involves a lot of writing and it involves a lot of strategy and a lot of just, yeah, pushing things forward into the world, like make that, write them, make them, Send them to people to read, send them to competitions, put them on the internet, you know, put them on the blacklist where you can get graded by other people. Um, and those are also indicators of quality. There are all kinds of ways to go. Um, I think it just depends. Uh, as, as someone said to me, there are a million ways into the business. You only need to find one. Um, but unfortunately, no one can tell you what your way it is going to look like. Yeah. 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 Off of that, I'll just add like, make a bunch of things and do a bunch of things, yep. you know, which, which is just like have those things in your back pocket. So when they say this script is great, what else you got? You have, you can say, Oh, Always. I can also do this. I've also done this, you know? Um, and because maybe they don't want you to write that thing. Maybe they want you to write something that's totally different. So do you have a good sample of something that's totally different that you could do, but then also do a bunch of things. Um, you know, if you know someone who's making a short film, ask if they need someone to come and hold a light or whatever, right? Because then th those are people that you're networking with and you're getting to know the other people who worked on the film. And the next time they're working on something, they might think of you to come work with them. And then you you never realize how things can kind of spiral, but they they spiral by you getting involved. Like I, I can name so many things in my life that I've done where I had no idea it was going to lead to anything. And then it turned out to be like that skill that I learned doing this dumb thing for my friends ended up being so, you know, beneficial for me when I was applying to do this thing or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, do a bunch, make a bunch. Yeah, 100%. I feel like, yeah, what you just said, Brian, has basically described my entire life of like, I want to learn how to do a thing. I'm going to go do this thing that has no clear purpose. And then at some point later in my life, it's critical to being part of the next step I take in my career. Um, so yeah, doing things, getting out there, uh, as Trisha's is saying playing the game. Um, I also got a piece of advice recently from someone in the industry that was like, you know, essentially it was sort of try to think of how uh, executives and other people might be looking at you and wanting to use you. And so sort of like, what is your thing? Like if yeah. you're going to be put in a writer's room, what is the the specific technique or you know skill that you have that's going to be useful in a writer's room? And if you're writing a uh yeah spec script a feature like have a very clear genre have a very clear form in mind like no make it really easy for whoever's reading it to see oh i can slot this into this you know open slot that i have because that's the lens through which a lot of these people are looking at is like exactly. i need to fill this thing to make it really easy for them to be like oh i see how this thing fits into this slot or whatever it is <sighs> godspeed um, <laughs> so we're, we're getting almost toward the end. We just have a few questions left here, but so really quickly, a question for us from Gino Gonzalez, what have been some of the most difficult films to discuss on the podcast and why? Uh, so it's a really interesting question. And I feel like this is, uh, a part of our process and just becoming a, a an important step in becoming the team that we are has been like 
navigating these things where sometimes, I mean, there's like, it's depending on how you want to look at this question. Sometimes it's difficult to discuss films just because they're so good. And it's like, how do where do you start? There's just like that, you know, mechanical level of like, what do we choose to cover when we're talking about Titanic, uh, <laughs> for example. Um, but it's also been interesting, you know, having like because movies are such an emotional thing and we all love movies and like the identity can be tied to movies and all this stuff uh it has been like tricky at times to engage with movies where for whatever reason some of us have a very strong like reaction to it uh baby driver is one that i discovered i had a very uh intense emotional relationship with uh which is weird and i kind of discovered that while we were recording the episode which isn't the best time to discover that um but so i think it's kind of been i think what's useful about this question is question is that it can be extrapolated into just like collaboration in general and methods to uh navigate that and so i think for us it's been like being really honest and a little vulnerable about like, here's how I actually feel about this thing. It might be completely irrational that I feel this way about baby driver, let's say, (laughs) but for whatever reason it's there. So let's talk about how to navigate that. Or maybe it just means let's not go there and then leave it off the table. Um, So yeah, so I think it's points to that in collaboration, there's a certain amount of vulnerability that's required. And so I think that means you have to be brave enough to volunteer that. And you also have to be respectful enough to hold that for everybody else. And I think that's a critical thing. Yeah. We've taken to kind of doing little like checks before the podcast, which is like, is there anything kind of problematic in this movie that could be kind of a landmine that we need to discuss or like, you know, figure out how we're going to navigate. And is there anything, any personal thoughts anyone has, like something that would, that they really care about or really are, you know, don't like or whatever, just so we're all kind of on that same page and just talking about it beforehand is is helpful. Um, And yeah, as Michael was saying, the, just being honest with each other, I've said this about every, whether it's a roommate or a partner or a friend or someone you're, you're working with, it's like just being honest about those dumb little things that bother you, like means that there's no pot that's waiting to boil at the end of, at the end of 10 things that bother you that suddenly turn into something big, you know? So it's like, just, just, be comfortable saying like, Hey, that, that thing kind of bothered me or whatever, which, you know, we're very fortunate to not have had a lot of that, but, I, but part of it is because we all feel very comfortable, like saying basically a hundred percent of what's our mind all the time, which means that we are always, um, you know, we're, we're avoiding any big issue happening ever because we're just, we're always on the same page. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And just to echo what you guys have said, um, I think that it, took a lot of practice to Mm -hmm. like get your emotions out of the way or like check them at the door, put your analytical hat on. Um, and like, this might not be the movie for you, but are there things to talk about? Right. Right. Um, and I just want to, yeah, reiterate that the practice piece, like you don't, you can't just automatically like turn your emotions down on something for the sake of like having a conversation about it um, in any area of life, right? It takes Mm -hmm. practice to know how to do that and what you need in order to do that. And so a lot of the systems that we now have in place were not systems we had in place because we didn't have practice. We didn't know what we needed. Um, And so like, you know, there are 
plenty of situations now in which we can be like, hey, we're not going to talk about this aspect of the movie. We're going to talk about these other five things that are definitely worth mining. And this other thing, we're just going to leave it over there. Um, and we don't need to get into it and stuff. And so I think that that's, I think that just, yeah, going through the process many, many times of what's the most productive way to go about this is really key. Um, and sometimes, as I think was mentioned earlier, sometimes we just can't. One of us just can't with a movie. And then that person is not on that episode. <laughs> if the right. movie is still worth discussing, and that, but that person cannot, then they do not have to. And, uh, they, or they will, we will schedule it when they are out of town or something and bring on a guest. Um, that does happen. Like when I reached my Marvel breaking point mid-episode <laughs> on Captain America's Civil War. <laughs> like, Alex doesn't I get just, to be on any more Marvel things. I just had to like let it all out and it was maybe not productive. Yeah. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so we have uh, just a handful of uh, some, some fun questions uh, here. So we're going to kind of sprint to the end. I think we're going to try anyway. Um, okay, so really quick. So Jeremy uh, Trigstead, what is one novel, video game, existing IP that you want to see made into a movie? And also, what is your favorite drink? Um, Brian, what IP do you want to see made into a movie? Uh, Splinter Cell, I think would be really fun. Tom Hardy is the latest in line to play Sam Fisher. Um, I would like to see like a Clooney because the character is supposed to be older, uh, but a, a nice... Um, kind of spy, you know, thing with climbing through vents and stuff. I've also always wanted to, my friend and I used to talk about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the book made into a movie. The, the movie is wonderful, but the book is told from Chief Brom Bromden's point of view, who is crazy. So the book has things that he sees that are not happening, happening. And we just said like a Terry Gilliam version of that or something like that would be just a lot of fun to see um and then i have a ton of other thoughts uh which we don't need to get into right now about other things i would love to see and how i would love to see them hitchhikers as a a full thing not just a movie a full like limited series etc um and uh favorite drink bourbon peaty scotch an old-fashioned a high abv barrel-aged stout <laughs> one of those <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, IP and drink. Uh, yeah, so I just have a bunch of answers that are like my favorite, like children's books and like YA novels that have yet to be made into movies. Um, there's this book called The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, which is written by Avi. It's a book about um, a 13 year old girl who like is crossing the Atlantic in the 1830s and like gets accused of murder and there's like a mutiny on the ship she's on and it's like. It's a new, a bunch of like Newbery Award winners. Um, I should specify that I used to be a teacher. My mother's a children's librarian. So uh, I secret, I like secretly have a lot of not just like a lot of favorite books that are actually like kids books and YA books. Uh, there's another book called Mara, Daughter of the Nile that I really love um, by Eloise Jarvis McGraw um, that I've always wanted to adapt. And um, 
there's just so many. Uh, for a minute, by the way, on True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, they had Morgan Freeman and Dakota Fanning attached, like back in the early aughts, and they were going to hmm. do it. And I actually one time asked Avi in person if he was going to let people adapt it, and he told me no to my face. And then I later <laughs> saw that it was in development with Morgan Freeman and Dakota Fanning. And I was like, he lied to me, but then they never did make it. So I don't know. Anyway, there's lots of existing IP out there for like young adult novels that I really would love to see happen. Um, favorite drink? I don't know. I'm a bourbon drinker. So uh, I've a bunch of those that I really like. Um, and I'm also scotch and soda classic. Like, um, yeah. Nice. Cool. Oh yeah, Madeline Lengel's novels. Um, they just did someone in this chat just said that. Yeah, I'm also a massive fan of those. They did a Wrinkle in Time recently. It's not how I would have done it. Um, but they <laughs> Madeline Lengel also has lots of other wonderful novels. Um, that would be great books and movie, a big great TV shows and movies. So nice. Yeah. I just finished playing uh Disco Elysium, which is a mm. bonkers game. It's like on the surface, it's kind of like a simple noir detective. There's a body found and you got to investigate it and figure out what's going on. Um, but it's like, it's insane and you're maybe psychotic and uh, you never know exactly what's real because kind of like what you were describing, Brian, the other thing of like the protagonist is clearly kind of out of their mind. And so mm -hmm. that colors the experience and it gets all existential and weird. And I think it could make for a like a really fascinating stylized, but like in a very purposeful way movie. So I, I think there's like rumors that they might actually be trying to make it into a movie and I'm mm. in the right hands. I think it would be really cool. Um, favorite drink. I'm going to go with old fashioned. Also someone else mentioned it's good. I like it. It's like the thing with old fashioned is that like, <laughs> it's really sweet and like nice to drink, but also it has this weird, like, Oh yeah, it's a cool, like masculine drink thing or something for some reason. And so I've just like stumbled into like, I order an old fashioned and people are like, Oh, interesting. I didn't think you would have been anyway. Don so. Draper over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to bring it to you with like a little pink umbrella though. Like That'd be great. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be cute. Okay. Favorite TV shows of the 2010s. True Detective, Game of Thrones. Um, sorry, this is from Mitchell Gregg. Um, but yeah, True Detective, Game of Thrones, Bojack Horseman, Sherlock were some, some that came to my mind. Alex, what about you? I'll add a Barry, The Crown, Succession, mm -hmm. Broad City, Search Party. Some nice. of my favorites. Nice. Brian? Uh, yeah, also Game of Thrones and True Detective. I'll add uh, Better Call Saul, Fargo, and I mentioned before the Australian um, series Wentworth, uh, which just ended a couple months ago. I love that. And then the British panel show, Would I Lie to You, which isn't a series, but I love it so much. Nice. And Trisha? Uh, don't watch TV, but <laughs> uh, no, the I mean, last decade. I uh, know, no, I mean, obviously, uh, Mad Men is my favorite show ever, pretty much. And then, yeah, you guys mentioned True Detective, which I really liked, and um, definitely watched all of Breaking Bad. And like, there were there were some good shows back then that even I could get on board with. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Mo asks, what are some dream guests you'd like for the show? And congrats on 1K. Um, yeah, my first two thoughts also because I was in the middle of watching the social network trailer was like Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher. I'd still, you know, 
like bucket list. It'd be great to talk to them at some point. In my intimidating. Life. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> terrifying, but fun. But then I was like, Bryce Dallas Howard. I yeah. want to talk to her. Mm. Like I'm kind of obsessed with her and her directing right now. Um, so yeah, so that'd be fun. So that's me. Uh, Trisha, what about you? Dream guest. Ryan Johnson. I would love, love, love to talk to him. I also just want to talk to him about everything, but Brick. I really want to talk mm. to him about Brick and all kinds mm. of stuff. Um, Chris McQuarrie is another person I would, I think, would be just such a fun podcast guest to talk to. Mm-hmm. So, and he's so generous on social media with like sharing insight and advice, and like he's great. Right. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Brian, what about you? Uh, all those, I'll just add David Lynch because I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> 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 oh my god. <laughs> Sure. The thing is, when you are you're making a, a movie, you have to look and find the place where you're going, and then you have to get there. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, we'll just we'll just have you interview yourself as David Lynch. Perfect. No, no, I I want I want to hear you oh, try to have a yeah. conversation with David Lynch. Oh, boy, okay. Michael and David Lynch one on one talk about the hole and drive. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> what could go wrong? Uh, yeah. Uh, that'd be fun. I'm, All right. I'm gonna second Ryan Johnson. He just seems such a great guy. Yeah. Uh, just I, like I wanted to hang out with him. Um, and on, on that note, uh, I don't know why we talked to him necessarily, but um, Oscar Isaac. I just want to hang out with Oscar mm. Isaac. Yeah. He's just the coolest person. Yeah. <laughs> so that'd be fine. I, I would not say no to him yeah. talking to us. I would not. Nope. I would not say no to him at all yeah. about anything <laughs> whatever he asks the answer, the answer is yes, yes. Oh, yeah. boy. okay so we're down to uh our last two questions here um so bruno augusto asked two questions i'm we're only going to look at the first one i think so what projects are you currently involved in where can i get more content from the most awesome film slash movie team thank you bruno uh Brian, what what do you got going on? Uh, as as you guys know, um, I am working on a developing a series about my uh, my formative teen years and the music my friends and I were obsessed with, and the uh, the girl who is still my best friend, who was the Winnie Cooper I was growing up with, and um, the the, uh, the band that my friends and I started, and sort of how all of that came together and how it, you know, how I think it could translate into a really cool uh, sort of Richard Linklater-esque series uh, in in present day. Uh, so that's been my thing that I am going to go upstairs after we're done here and uh, hopefully finish my latest draft. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. And Trisha, what do you got going on? Oh, lots. Um, well, I have a, a movie about giant worms that's coming out pretty soon um, called They Crawl Beneath. Uh, you can check out whenever you're watching this, see if it's going to be, I don't have any information, uh, any further information about where it's going to be streaming, but as soon as I do, I will get some to you. Um, and, uh, I'm also, uh, always working on different assignments and things. Uh, I was recently, I've recently been working on a mini series. It's like a historical, uh, mini series pilot that I probably can't say more about than that. Um, but have really enjoyed working on that. And we're probably in the rewrite phase on that now um, before we go ahead any further. Uh, and then I always have projects of my own that I'm doing and I'm always talking to people and in, in development on things. I have a spec that's um, a producer is attached to that we're trying to uh, get a director attached to so we can move forward on that. And 
um, many irons in the fire. That's kind of the way I think. I think if you talk to a lot of screenwriters there, they have like eight things that they could tell you about. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's always like your answer when this comes up. It's like, well, I'm doing like 20 different things. And yeah. this book that I wrote just got published and this is happening. And yeah. da, da, da. Yeah. It's like Michael and I are like, we are still working on the same <laughs> screenplay idea that we were talking about last year. <laughs> but you guys um, have made a lot of progress on your screenplay. Exactly. Well, and, and right now it's my fault that uh, it has not been shown to our friends because uh, I, I, did a, I did a full draft on it. Michael did a pass on that draft and tried a bunch of new things out i am supposed to be doing like the reconciliation pass right now but i went on vacation to mexico and there's i started a new, new job this week uh at bioware which has been very cool yeah. um so i need to uh finish my pass uh, so that is also what i'll be working on this weekend along with you brian i need to finish my pass on our script so it can be shown to somebody um so yeah so that is what we are working on as a feature film script right now nice yeah yeah that and then uh, last year, I shot a music video with Maggie Mae Fish for fun. Alex was part of that also. Uh, and I, at some point, I'm going to edit it. But it's this like insanely difficult task that I've given myself. It's like all editing and like every two frames, there's a new cut and it's complicated. Um, so that's like a mini fun project that I have going on uh, on top of that. Um, and then some other um, exciting things uh, that I am, cannot talk about yet but we'll talk about it at some point. Soon. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, okay. And our last question, I believe the most upvoted question on Patreon <clears throat> comes from Santos L. Halper. Uh, Santa's a little, Great name. little helper. Uh, so Hollywood options, the lessons from the screenplay story. Which actors play you, who directs it, and most importantly, what's the midpoint? Uh, and a bonus question of what does it make opening weekend? Um, okay. <laughs> I don't like that. And then be depressed about it. Yeah, um, streaming only. <laughs> yeah. So like, th this is a really, I'm more interested like, I want to hear from everybody else, like listeners, what they, who they think should play us and all that stuff um <laughs> did you guys go through Whoa, and... jason momoa <laughs> the Alex, as jason momoa says Adam my boy <laughs> uh i did ask like yeah some friends that are also listeners of like who they thought um would play different people and yeah apparently like casting you alex was like the big struggle for mm. them um cheyenne jackson was uh thrown out uh and uh what else oh yeah, people, some arrived at Oscar Isaac as playing Alex. Nice. And I was like, I, was I will say, take it. He will be happy about that. Um, but also Jonathan Groff, which I think. I do. I would absolutely take that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a vibe. I love yeah. it. If you grew a beard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, Alex, did you do this exercise? And what, what did you do? What did you say? Um... Uh, I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, I mean, I always, I always jumped to John Krasinski for myself as maybe he's a little too idealistic, but <laughs> he's got the, I think he's got, you know, when he draws the beard, we, we share some similar features and he's tall. Um, Michael, you know, Jesse Williams, I think I just visually, I think you guys, he could play you. I don't know about personality wise. Um, I was thinking about uh, as far as like director, uh, talking about Ryan Johnson earlier. I feel like he could do a fun, lfts 
uh, movie, I guess, you know, just kind of, I would trust him to capture the the spectrum of emotions that would fall into an LFTS uh, movie. And uh, Trisha, we, we talked recently about, you know, Emily Watson yeah. as, you know, in Punch Drunk mm. Love. <laughs> For sure. Um, can totally see that. And Brian, yeah. Who, like, who plays Brian? What do you guys think? I don't know. Brian has an answer. I want to hear Brian's answer for himself. Well, we did. We yeah. did have a question in the Q and A that was who would play us if if we had biopics of us. And I said it would, you know, as much as I would like it to be a young Russell Crowe, it would more realistically be uh, Seth Rogen, um, or uh, or you know, like a Jack Black or somebody like that, right? Just like a a round faced clown. <laughs> basically, I think I get, but I can see Russell Crowe. I can see, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my friends suggested Daniel Radcliffe. Could be an interesting casting choice. Wow. I, was like, I feel like there's a Dana Radcliffe energy there. I think he would do an interesting take on Brian. I see that. Like, interesting. Like lighter day. Dana yeah. Radcliffe. Yeah. Obviously yeah. not like yeah, little boy. <laughs> <laughs> Dana Radcliffe. Oh, someone in the chat said uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, obviously, you know, nice. in, in a parallel mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. I, would, I would absolutely love that. And then someone said Michael Caine as Brian doing Michael Caine. Which, <laughs> nice. um, say that to that. Michael, I'm looking at your notes and yeah. Carrie Mulligan and Florence Pugh both for be great for Trisha. I yeah. will take yeah. it. Yeah, for I get that. Suggestions. I, I get Carrie Mulligan sometimes, um, Michelle Williams sometimes, and um, basically any actress that's like ever had short blonde hair, people tell me. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, Emily Mortimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. It's all the Emilys. Yeah, yeah all the Emilys. Got all the Emilys. I was also like Carrie Coon, I think, could also like perform like play trisha's character carrie coon's really Mm -hmm. good i like that i also was like jeff goldblum as brian i think could be fun i like Like, that i I want to see that Uh, energetically Mm. (laughs) Uh, Mm. (laughs) oh my god i asked seth Seth rogan what do you think about playing me his response is (coughs) (laughs) 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 who should play vince when i was just free riding i wrote down willem dafoe In one of his like Gonzo like A twenty four roles, yeah, yeah I think that'd be fun. Um, wow! Yes. And I've, as I was saying, I'm obsessed with Bryce Dallas Howard, so I would love to see a Bryce Dallas Howard directed uh, yeah. movie about Lessons from a Screenplay. And yeah, the question of like midpoint, um, what would that be? And it might be as we kind of went over the arc of things earlier today. If it was the the full Lessons from a Screenplay story, the midpoint might be the podcast starting or like launching it i don't know or like mm. that's the break into two i, I think the midpoint is be, when yeah. we all realize some horrifying truth about ourselves <laughs> well right <laughs> so has that not happened yet <laughs> i was yeah. trying to yeah. <laughs> i think the midpoint i think the midpoint hasn't happened yet yeah okay well that's... I, I mean i don't think the midpoint has to be horrifying i'm saying i think there you know there there may be a big something in our future that we don't know about yet we're not keeping mm. secrets that we don't know about yet <laughs> that will that will be the midpoint in the story yeah all right it's a little ominous. I'm afraid of midpoints, but if I have to live <laughs> yeah. through them. Spinning the story in an entirely new direction. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as far as what it would make in the opening week, I did some math and we have, you know, a thousand patrons are a little bit more now. Uh, and as if everyone paid $15 to see it on opening weekend, we'd make $15,000 in opening weekend. So <laughs> uh, I think we have it all set up here. <laughs> As long as the movie costs less than $15,000 to make. <laughs> yeah. We'll totally make, totally make our money back. 
Awesome. Okay. So I think we have managed to uh, get through basically all of the questions. Um, that was a lot of fun. Any other casting, directing things? I, you know, if you guys were really eager to say anything else, cool, great. All right. We got it covered. Um, cool. Well, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, this was like a fun little detour. We'll be back with our normally scheduled, regularly scheduled programming next week. Um, but yeah, thank you to all of the everybody that listens and then all the patrons that support the show, that submitted questions and upvoted questions. Uh, you guys are awesome. And it was fun getting to, to hang out with all of you and answer some of your questions. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>